to the Wealth Guardians radio show. I'm your host, Doug Ray. I appreciate you spending a little bit of your weekend with us. We really do appreciate it. Bryce Payne's here in the studio with us. And Bryce, how's it going today? Well, Doug, I am wearing a jacket for the first time this year. <laughs> fall is here, and there's nothing better than fall with some football, so I am doing quite well. How about you? I can't, I can't complain. My Packers are doing well. <laughs> Panthers are doing well Panthers with are doing the, good. with a backup quarterback. Uh, now, if I could just get my East Carolina Pirates in gear, I'd be, I'd be perfect. Broncos have finally won a game against a. Uh, Conference rival, division rival, so happy about that. And we'll see if see you can start winning some games out there as well. <laughs> All right. So for those of you who are new uh, to the show, Ray Financial and the Wealth Guardians, a local independent firm. And we work with folks who are within seven to ten years of retirement, as well as those folks who are already retired. And most people just simply don't know how to turn their retirement savings accounts into a steady flow of income once they're not drawing that paycheck anymore. So I focus my retirement uh, planning business on doing exactly that. History shows there's two powerful truths when it comes to finances and retirement. The first one is, what got you to retirement is not necessarily going to get you through retirement. And number two, maybe the most important, losses mean more than gains in retirement once you aren't drawing that paycheck. And those are two very important truths, Doug. You always remind us of that, and I always want to remind everybody that at the Wealth Guardians, we practice as fiduciaries, which means we are required to make recommendations that are in your best interest, not ours. And I want to remind you that not all advisors out there practice as fiduciaries. Doug? And before we get started, as always, a big salute and a thank you goes out to our vets, our military, and our first responders and their families, thank you for everything you've done for us and will do for us in the future. Salutes across the board here. Thank you, gentlemen and gentlewomen. You know, this morning we're going to cover a difficult topic, losing your spouse and what that means to your retirement plan. Obviously, there's the emotional aspect of figuring out how to live without your spouse. But this morning we're going to discuss critical decisions that must be made to your retirement plan when your spouse passes away. This includes the biggest factor of all that most folks are unaware of and can cost a surviving spouse a lot of money each year. Well, you know, sadly, we've dealt with this situation with several clients over the years. And unfortunately, it just happened uh, a week or so ago to one of our longtime clients. Um, Really feel for them. You know, most people are married, and and when the spouse passes away before the other, uh, when that happens, it's very important that critical decisions that must be made in order to make a retirement plan continue to succeed when taking care of that surviving spouse for the rest of their life. And that's transferring the assets the best way possible to all the contingent beneficiaries, including, you know, the children and grandchildren and charities and and all that, and, and it's uh, to, you know it's proper to to leave that legacy. So even though it's not a fun topic to discuss, it's critical information that certainly can help people plan in order to make this transition as smooth and painless as possible. Now, my experience over the last thirty plus years in this business shows the main concern is regarding the surviving spouse is having enough money to live on after the other spouse passes away. Plus, there's other areas of concern. You know, incorrect planning could cost your family tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars if this isn't done correctly. These areas must be planned for, and they include Social Security, pensions, 
how to transfer retirement plans, how to continue drawing from the income plan for the rest of that surviving spouse's lifetime, and how to plan for the surviving spouse's passing, the taxes, and other things. The tax component of this is is huge because taxes are everywhere in retirement, and these are changes that happen when one spouse passes away and when both spouse passes away, which, of course, we'll get into those topics today. So again, even though this is not a fun topic to discuss, it's critically important, and I'm glad you're here with us today and hope you learn a lot. Doug, it's probably logical to start with the main assets that generally pass to a surviving spouse, which are IRAs or other type of retirement accounts. Talk to us about that. Sure. These are most uh, popular types of assets that people retire with, and you know most people save in retirement accounts during their working years, and these are generally the biggest type of assets that are re- relied on when you retire. So it's extremely important to note that IRAs and retirement plan accounts like 401ks, 403s, SEP IRAs are not passed on via who is named in your will or trust. They're passed on by naming a beneficiary in those accounts. And we've said on this show hundreds of times it's critically important to have a proper uh, people named on these lines because that is where the money's going to go. These beneficiary statements trump everything. And that goes all the way up to the Supreme Court. Make sure that that beneficiary designations are up to date and accurate. You know, life happens and sometimes that requires changes to be made regarding beneficiaries. For example, a divorce. People simply just forget to go back and make that change from the first spouse to the new spouse. So make a point to confirm that whoever you have named on your beneficiary lines in your retirement accounts and life insurance policies are those that you really want the money going to. So let's get into some options that specifically involve a spouse being named as a beneficiary, which happens almost in all cases. The best explanation of these options, uh, I think, came from Ed Slott, who's considered one of the best IRA experts in the country. Ed says this, The rules are not simple, especially when compared to the rules for when a child or other non-spouse beneficiary inherits the same account. And that's true because there are a slew of special rules that only apply when a spouse inherits an IRA, and these rules can complicate matters. So the first option is for a spouse beneficiary and one available only to a spouse beneficiary is to complete what is commonly referred to as a spousal rollover. A spousal rollover, a surviving spouse rolls the money over into their own IRA, either directly or indirectly within 60 days. And note, this is an incredible, irrevocable decision made by that surviving spouse. Once those funds are deposited into their own IRA, they are treated as if they were always in that account. There is no way at that point for the surviving spouse to change their mind and be treated as a beneficiary IRA. This option is generally best when a surviving spouse is at least age 59 and a half, but younger than the spouse that passed away because you can access the money without penalty and you can delay distribution until you're 70 and a half. 
which is going to lower your required minimum distributions because you're younger than your spouse. Now, you don't want to choose this option if you're under the age of 59 and a half and no need to use the money. The reason for this is that all IRA money or qualified account money is subject to the age 59 and a half rule, which means that you can't get money out of the account without a penalty until you're 59 and a half. So, for example, say your spouse passes away at age 65. You're 55. You don't want to do a spousal rollover and put your own IRA because it's now going to be subject to that 59 and a half rule because you're only 55. You wouldn't be able to use that money for four and a half years without a penalty. Bryce, why don't you explain the next option? Okay, Doug. Thank you. That was very helpful. Uh, the next option, which actually prevents the 10% penalty at any time, is to establish what's called an inherited IRA. Now, this is similar to the way a non-spouse beneficiary can do this. When choosing this option, a spouse must move the money directly from the decedent's IRA to an inherited IRA. And to do this, they must properly title the account, which can be tricky. While the precise titling can you know, vary slightly from custodian to custodian, the titling must include the name of the decedent, as well as indicate somehow that the account is an inherited IRA or what's called a beneficiary IRA. Those two terms are synonymous. Let's do an example. An acceptable title for this type of account might say something like, John Doe, deceased on X date, IRA, FBO, which stands for For the Benefit of, Sally Doe. Basically, it has to include the deceased spouse name and also the surviving spouse's name as an inherited IRA. Now, what's the benefit of this option? Well, no matter what age you are, you can use the money without any type of government penalties. So the benefit to the inherited IRA is that it allows you to use the money basically at any time. But wherever there's an upside, there's going to be a downside. And the downside to an inherited IRA is that it forces you to start taking money each year right away based on your own life expectancy. So in this case, if you're over the age of 59 and a half and you don't want to use any of the money for a while, then you probably don't want to do an inherited IRA because that will force you to start taking money out of it each year immediately. So the inherited IRA or beneficiary IRA is better for someone who is under the age of 59 and a half and is going to need the money. Now, Doug, there's a third option as well. So, Bryce, the third option is to roll the IRA money into a new or existing IRA and then convert it to a Roth IRA. And you might want to do this if you anticipate being in a higher tax bracket you know, later on in life. And it might be advantageous for you to go ahead and convert that IRA money to a tax-free Roth account really soon. Now, all that money would be tax-free in the future, and you wouldn't have to take any required minimum distributions down the line. So finally, the last option is actually to disclaim all or part of your IRA assets. And if you choose this option, the IRA assets will pass to your spouse's contingent beneficiaries. This could be your children, your grandchildren, any relative, a trust, or a charity, anything. And when assets pass directly to an IRA owner's children and grandchildren, the potential for tax-deferred or tax-free growth will be stretched over a much longer period, and having to pay less taxes may be well beneficial for them. 
So again, your final option is that you can disclaim a part or all of your IRA so you don't have to take the money and pay taxes on it. And then you can put it in a better position for others who will benefit more. Those are your four options, Bryce. Yeah, and making that those decisions that can be complex, it's probably safe to say that in most circumstances there will be other types of money as well that will be also inherited, like a brokerage account, bank accounts, and other savings accounts. Now, these types of accounts differ from retirement and insurance accounts in that they are inherited through your wills and trusts. Generally speaking, this is money that you won't owe any taxes on, and it will simply go to the spouse named in your will. And again, generally speaking, these accounts just go on as they were before, but other assets such as land, collectibles, businesses, etc., those will also pass on the way that they are set up in your will. Okay, folks, a lot was covered there and a lot still to go. You are listening to the Wealth Guardians radio show. We certainly appreciate you being with us today. We can be reached at 336-391-3409. Hang tight and we'll be back right after this. And welcome back to the Wealth Guardians Radio Show, where we we help you retire the job, but not the paycheck. Now, today we're discussing what happens to a retirement plan when a spouse passes away. Now, Doug, during the first segment, we focused on inherited accounts. So let's spend a few minutes talking about retirement income sources and how they're affected by the passing of a spouse. Let's start off with Social Security. What happens to Social Security income when one spouse passes away? Yeah, Bryce, that's a great question. Yeah, it comes up a lot, and obviously most people collect Social Security during the retirement years. So when one spouse passes, the surviving spouse will step into the larger of the two Social Security benefits. If the spouse who passes away had the higher benefit, then the surviving spouse will step into that benefit and lose their own benefit. If the surviving spouse had a higher benefit, then they're just going to keep their higher benefit and they're going to lose the benefit that the other spouse who passed uh, had. So when one of the spouses passes away, the they lose the smaller of the two Social Security benefits. It's kind of simple, really. But it's important to remember that once both spouses turn Social Security on, they will have two checks, but they'll lose one of those checks when one of the spouses passes. And I want to mention uh, right here that while both spouses are alive, there are many strategies available to maximize their Social Security benefit during their lifetime. And we're going to be discussing that and lots more on our final Social Security workshop of 2019. That occurs on November the 5th and 7th at 6.30 p.m. And I want to invite all of you folks who are listening to this show, if you haven't been to one of our Social Security workshops, if you've been contemplating coming, come to this one because this is the last one for 2019. Yeah, we'll do some more in 2020, but this is it for 2019. We've helped hundreds of local families maximize their benefits as long as it's at least one spouse is not collecting uh, Social Security benefits. There's no cost, no obligation. Just register now. Go online at thewealthguardians.com, hit the events tab, or just call our office at 336-391-3409 and leave your name and number and enjoy 
We'll contact you. Okay. So another source of retirement income for some listeners could be what's called a pension. Now, with pension income, when you get ready to turn the pension on after you retire or separate from service, you're going to have to choose a pension payout option. And there can be a lot of different options to choose from. Now, sometimes people will choose the full pension option, which will just be payable for that person's lifetime. Once they pass away, the pension income simply stops. Obviously, this is not going to protect a surviving spouse. So most of the time when people are married and they choose their pension options, now they're more likely to select a surviving spouse option. This means when the pension owner passes away, the remaining amount of the pension income will continue to the surviving spouse. And this can be all of it or just a percentage of it. So you can have a 100%, a 75%, 50%, different, different percentages for the surviving spouse option. So if you're married and you or your spouse is going to receive a pension when you retire, but you haven't retired yet, be aware that you're going to have to make some choices when it comes time to select your pension payout options. Now, you can have it pay out just during your lifetime or have it provide some type of surviving spouse benefit, as we said. If you've already turned the pension on, why don't you go back and see what option you selected to find out if you if you passed away, would your surviving spouse get any continuing income payments from it? Now, this is important. This is information you need to know for retirement planning. So let's say you find out your husband has a pension right now, and you find out that when he passes away, the pension does not carry on for you. Okay, well, that's something you need to know now so that you can step up your retirement plan to replace that pen that pension when should he pass away. Now, if you find out that the pension continues on, okay, well, that's good news, obviously, but you also need to know what amount continues on so you can plan for that, both income-wise and tax-wise. So again, whether or not the pension continues on or not after a spouse passes away will depend on what pension option was originally selected. Now, for the sake of your loved ones, Go ahead and take the time now. Arrange your accounts, making sure the proper plans and beneficiary designations are actually in place. So if you're married, talk to your spouse about organizing his or her funds so that you are mutually protected and so that your plan is set up to provide for both of you over your retirement years. Remember, and we say this all the time here, you work hard for your money. You want to make sure that it is set up to protect both of you and make life as easy as possible for both of you as you go forward. Now, the ultimate goal here is to make sure that you have a retirement professional that you can rely on to help you with all of this, to make sure that your plan will continue for that surviving spouse for the rest of their life as well. Yeah, you know, up to this point, we've been discussing what happens to a retirement plan and retirement income when a spouse passes. Now, I want to get into the biggest factor that can cost a surviving spouse a lot of money every year. Okay. So when you're married, you file a married filing joint tax return. Right. And you pay taxes at whatever that tax bracket happens to be that you're you're in. And I think it's safe to say that even when the first spouse passes, the surviving spouse still wants to maintain the lifestyle that existed when both were alive. Okay. So most of the time, no one wants to live on less income when one spouse passes away. So even though they lose one of those Social Security checks, most want to make that loss up by drawing out of their retirement accounts to supplement that 
money that they lost, whether it was a pension or Social Security or, or whatever. Right. So now the problem is they have to file as a single person tax return. Those single tax brackets are much lower than married filing jointly. So what happens in many cases is when one spouse passes, that causes the surviving spouse to have to pay a lot more in taxes because moving from a married filing jointly to a single tax bracket treats the same income differently. Many people don't look ahead and plan for this. And you should work with a retirement specialist that can help you create an effective plan for that time period before something happens to either one of you. Isn't that what we do, Doug? I think that's what we do. That's what we do. I think that's what we do. You know, it might be a wise thing to supplement uh, that Social Security check with uh, withdrawing from a Roth IRA versus a regular IRA. Anyway, there's lots of solutions that uh, involve becoming more tax efficient, especially with tax rates as low as they are at this point. So to summarize what we've talked about eventually, one of the two partners in a marriage is going to be uh, going to pass first. There are decisions to make while both are living so that the surviving spouse is able to maintain the best standard of living for the lowest cost. So start working with a retirement professional who can help you with these things both before it happens and after to make sure everything is accounted for in the most proper way. Doing this is important so that your retirement lifestyle will continue on the best way possible going forward for both spouses and make sure that everything passes in the most proper way to your surviving children, grandkids, churches, charities after you've both gone. And make sure your retirement plan is not only set up the best way possible for you during your working years and retirement years, while you're living, but also set up the right way to pass on to your beneficiaries in the most proper way as well. Doug, I want to I want to go back and touch on something that you were talking about just a moment ago, as far as starting to draw out of your IRA as opposed to your Roth or vice versa. Um, one thing that I've come to learn in my ten years of being in the business that instead of just taking from all of your funds each year. There is a real strategy in which accounts to draw down from, and our retirement planning software automatically knows those strategies and can show us the best way to draw down from one account to another from year to year so that you're paying as little as taxes as possible. Those can make some huge differences for, for clients if they just take out of their IRAs first and then out of their Ross and then out of their non-qualified accounts in that order. That can have a the money run out a lot faster than doing it in a more um, tactical approach, correct? Oh, absolutely. It's amazing how uh, when you properly order the distribution phase of your life, uh, how much money you can save in the long run with, with uh, you know, creating tax-efficient distribution plans. And that includes the conversions from IRAs to Roths as well, which is something that we take a look at on a year-to-year basis with our clients. Yeah, and, you know, right now we've got uh, – four or five years ahead of us where we've got these lowest, probably the lowest tax brackets we're ever going to see in our lifetime, and we need to take advantage of those. And we talked a couple weeks ago about uh, when you can do certain things with certain dates and converting your IRAs to Roths, if that is indeed tax efficient for you that year. That has to be done by December 31st, not, not just when you file your taxes like a regular contribution can be done. Yeah, and, you know, we've had shows in the past that talk about certain dates and special dates and, you know, when you're 
as you age, the time you need to do things like the 59 and a half rule and, you know, the 55 rule, which a lot of people forget about. Yeah. Don't remember. But yeah, all, all good stuff to know. Yep, absolutely. Well, folks, let me just take a minute and describe for you what our four meeting process is, is like. The first meeting that you have with us. We will take a look at your overall financial situation. We'll ask you a lot of questions. You'll ask us a lot of questions. We'll gather all the data that we need to to start running some analysis for you. And then in the second meeting, in that analysis meeting, we show you what your current portfolio looks like, the risks that you're taking, the how your funds match up to their peer groups, what types of fees you're paying, and how the risk that you're taking matches up with your risk tolerance. And in the third meeting is when we start putting together some retirement planning for you, where we take a look at how your portfolio might be better served. And we make some recommendations, and then we can compare, if you didn't make any changes in retirement with your current portfolio, how that compares with what our portfolio would look like and see uh, what the pros versus cons are. And in the fourth meeting, we put all that together, we finalize it, we tweak it, and we give that to you in a full written binder for you to take home so that it's not just words left out in the opening you try to remember what it was we said it's for you to take home and doug there's no cost or obligation for any of this not a bit we do all the work for you we do all the work all you've got to do is invest a little bit of time with us and if you like what our recommendations might be again as fiduciaries our recommendations can only be based on your best interest and if you like those then by all means, we can help you in starting enacting those. Now, we want to remind our listeners that every situation that we've been talking about today is fully unique, and that's why we like to sit down for that no-cost, no-obligation second opinion review that Doug and I were just describing. So let's see if we can identify areas where we can offer additional options, more tax efficiency, Social Security optimization. There's a whole bunch of factors that go into that. So let us show you how to retire that job and keep the paycheck. You can call us at 336-391-3409 or online at thewealthguardians.com. Now, before we sign off, we want to invite you all, our listeners, again, to register for our Social Security Workshop on November 5th and 7th at 6.30 p.m. We're going to be discussing strategies to maximize your benefits, reducing taxes, and much more. Register online at thewealthguardians.com. Or call 336-391-3409. We'll see you here again next week.